for achievement in directing, the director's branch of the Academy nominates The Irishman, Martin Scorsese. Joker, Todd Phillips. 1917, Sam Mendes. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino. And Parasite, Bong Joon-ho. Alex McCorrell worked in the entertainment industry and TV and film for more than five years. He is also a fellow Oscar junkie. Alex, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Jake. Uh, yeah, I have shared a uh, kind of absurd love for the Oscars and uh, what they mean, I guess, for people's careers for a long time and have had uh, zero place to put it. So thanks for giving me a platform. Well, no, I, and I appreciate you coming on. It's an inter- it's an interesting hobby. Like it's a weird kind of solo thing to put a lot of time into. How did you kind of get into watching all the all the different movies? Yeah, I mean, it's weird. I started caring about the Oscars before I could see a lot of the movies that were being nominated. I, I don't know why. It was just some weird fascination about who had won and, you know, who has that the title of Academy Award winner or whatever. But as I grew older and started really, you know, loving films and trying to watch everything... I really became uh, fascinated with what it does for people's careers, good and bad, and, you know, which people haven't been nominated and should have been, or which people won and really didn't deserve to, or that performance or movie hasn't aged very well. So uh, for whatever reason, that that hobby of mine has uh, has stuck through, even even through my time working in the industry, peeking behind the curtain. Uh, so to speak, I've, uh, I've I've kept up with it. Well, today we're talking Best Director, and that's a lot of people who have gotten a lot of nominations and had some pretty established careers. What was your take on the overall directing class this year? I have to say overall this year, uh, just for movies in general, I guess the Best Picture nominations, I can't remember an Oscar year that, uh, that aligned so closely with my own taste. Uh, it's pretty wild. I mean, I'm still kind of working on my top 10 for the year. Still a couple to see, including Little Women, uh, which is nominated. But uh, besides Ford vs. Ferrari, all those lit, all those movies are going to be in my top 10. So uh, I've, I'm very satisfied with how the uh, nominations turned out. And in terms of Best Director, you know, Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and The Irishman are my top three movies of the year. And then uh, Joker, I really enjoyed and actually was very impressed with Todd Phillips' direction in that movie. And then I just saw 1917 on Sunday, and that's certainly kind of a physical feat, uh, if not maybe a little gimmicky, and we can get into that uh, piece of filmmaking. So I'm I'm very satisfied overall with how the nominations turned out. 
1917, you can see the direction for sure. It is kind of like a, well, first of all, just since this is like an Oscar completist podcast and, you know, people who might want to see these movies, I think these ones are pretty mainstream, but I always like to cover off on where you can see these. Mm -hmm. 1917 in uh, Parasite are still in theaters. Um, 1970s on a wide release and Parasite is on an extended release. And then the rest you can watch at home, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Joker to Rent, uh, The Irishman on Netflix. As I think about the category of directing, I always, I've never actually totally understood this category um, relative to best picture. Looking mm-hmm. back, like historically, um, these awards have matched 52 of 65 times, I think, since 1953, um, yep. but only two of the past six. As we think about, like, let's say that we live in a world where Once Upon a Time in Hollywood wins best picture and 1917 wins best director, mm-hmm. or, you know, The Irishman wins best director. What is that saying? Like, what do you think this award is is really celebrating? It's a great question. And, you know, it changes every year. Awarding, getting a Best Director Award can mean a few different things. One is just kind of the technical achievement, whether it's like a big set piece, a lot of extras, a lot of cool special effects. So that would, you know, be closer, uh, adhere to kind of a war movie like 1917. Or it could be just a slew of terrific performances, because that's what directors do. They direct actors. So, you know, I think that would certainly be the case for Tarantino, as well as Scorsese. And then the other would be just kind of, I think, world building, you know, just like building something that's unique and um, different and maybe hasn't been seen before. So... It's definitely not a consistent uh, merit kind of of who gets the award. But uh, in terms of your example, there there have been definitely a few different comparisons of the best director kind of being like the runner up award almost like we're not going to give you the best picture uh, award, but we are we are impressed with what you accomplished. So. Looking back in the past 10 years, certainly uh, Amy Ritu for The Revenants, obviously an incredibly complicated technical piece of filmmaking. Uh, Quaron, both for Gravity and for uh, Roma, both of which didn't win uh, Best Picture. So I think those would be kind of comparable examples to 1917 winning if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, won Best Picture. And I think what's interesting this year is that, you know, I guess, I I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I would say probably Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Irishman are kind of the heavy favorites to win Best Picture. So the other three nominees for Best Director kind of would fall into that, um, you know, very uh, impressive technical achievement uh, whether it's, you know, Bon Joon-ho with the incredible geography of that house and, you know, the parable of, uh, you know, low class, high class or Sam Mendes accomplishing the seemingly one shot, you know, uh, take on World War One or Todd Phillips doing the down and dirty, gritty 70s realism kind of take on the superhero thing. So. It's uh, it's it's very interesting to uh, uh, it'll be very interesting to see how it turns out. Yeah, well, I always like in my early days of watching movies and and trying to guess all the Oscar picks, and I'd always think about it in terms of just like 
the quality of art, which is totally subjective anyway. But I think that the more that you you study this stuff and pay attention to it and you realize how political it is and it's almost like, well, we gave Martin Scorsese this, so we got to give Quentin this or Sam Mendes has never won and it's like kind of depressing. But anyway, I'd love to jump in and, and talk about the nominees themselves this year. I sort of just reverse ranked ordered them on, on my own personal opinions, but that doesn't matter that much. It's just sort of to choose in order to talk about them. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to start with Todd Phillips, Joker, um, and just get your overall reaction. Um, it sounds like you actually liked the movie okay. I wasn't as, as big a fan, but specifically, I guess, the directing and, and sort of what Todd Phillips accomplished. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I was kind of floored by it, walking out of it. And I, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I've seen many other, I think, superior movies since. So it slid down my list a little bit. But, you know, Phillips, obviously, uber successful kind of bro comedy auteur. But I really think that, you know, in those comedies, particularly like Hangover Trilogy and Due Date and War Dogs, he has shown flashes of real like filmmaking uh, bravado. You know, he, he, he knows how to shoot a movie. And, you know, there are even, you know, not major action pieces, but some action pieces in those movies and i think he did a really nice job with those and uh you know it's interesting with this so he approaches warner brothers um about doing uh kind of setting up a sub uh studio if you will mini studio for doing individual villain stories for dc starting with joker i forget what it was called it was like dc dark or something but you know, wanted to make it super violent, super gritty, have the look and feel of like down and dirty NYC movies of the 70s. You know, it was a very controversial movie uh, before before it came out. All the hype of uh, people expecting shooters to be inspired by it and they would inspire violence and none of that happened. And instead, it actually became like one of the most successful superhero movies ever. You know, it, it's not the most original movie. It definitely steals quite a bit from Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. And I wouldn't say it's the deepest movie by any means. But I think he really surrounded himself with incredible craftspeople. And uh, that obviously showed on Monday when it was nominated for 11 Oscars overall, many of them technical and I, I think the look of the film is really kind of beautiful, grungy and bleak. And Joaquin is just an absolute phenomenon in the movie, a tour de force performance. And I think that kind of was like a butterfly effect for the rest of the movie. And it just elevated every single piece of production around him. But Phillips overall, I just think he has a real command with, his camera movements and his placement and he, he knows at least in this in, at least in this movie how to build up dread and kind of sustain a sense of terror when phoenix goes uh fully off the rails i i think those are fair points like it's not the screenplay category and so i can see an argument that if you know you can like the movie or not like the movie but if the world's created the way that he intended if the cinematography is effective if he pulls the most out of actors that that's a directorial achievement. So I, I can kind of get behind that. A couple yes. of things you mentioned, I'm wondering if they help or hurt them. So like one is, you know, you use the words 
or you use the references to King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. And I mean, those have been used a lot. And I think that's partially because Todd Phillips came out and made that comparison himself. Yeah. Does that help him or hurt him? Like if I started this podcast and I'm like, I'm going to talk into a microphone and it's going to be the Kennedy space speech, just like FYI. Um, I don't know. Like, is that, is that a good thing or does that move his expectations in the wrong direction or does it kind of, I don't know, anchor him to a place where he's now being taken seriously? Well, you know, in addition to, you know, actually doing a good job directing, I mean, he had so much baggage with that movie to explain and you know listening to him on the interview circuit throughout the last few months i mean i think he's really impressive and i think he explains all of that really well and you know he kind of put himself in a tough spot i can't remember which interview it was but uh basically saying like you know everyone's so sensitive nowadays and you can't make a real comedy anymore because you know you know, you're afraid of offending people and got a lot of backlash for that. But I I think he's a super smart guy. And I I think the bar for superhero movies is pretty low. And by by every kind of measuring stick, he has exceeded all expectations for this movie going in and uh, just in general. And uh, obviously, he's kind of the last one. in. I think I think the other four were kind of locks i would say uh for best director so um i don't know if you want to get into this now but you know obviously there were some snubs some uh people that would uh you know the joker haters that would rather have greta gerwig or whoever else in there but you know joker is a worldwide phenomenon you know it's just made a shit ton of money and people despite you know whatever maybe it's muddy politics or whatever or fake genius or whatever you want to say about it people have really fallen for this movie so it, it it's not a total surprise to me that that he's in there no i think that's fair i think like right now i'm over it like you know kathy yan coming out and being like birds of prey is gonna be like clockwork orange i'm like enough but <laughs> I, I remember when like christopher nolan came out with the dark knight and like i love batman begins And I remember watching the trailer for The Dark Knight and it was like so serious in tone. And I'm like, this is a Batman movie, like stop being so serious. And then obviously that has clearly stood the test of time. So I think he swung me a little bit on um, Todd Phillips, you know, not being totally crazy to have him in the category. Right. And also, I mean, I will say and, you know, this isn't universal across the board. But, you know, because there's Joker haters everywhere, but a lot of the people that are being most vocal about just hating, uh, being like sick to their stomach about all these Joker nominations, uh, these were the same people that vied for, that just had to have Black Panther be in the Oscar talk last year. So uh, to those people, I say you made your own bed. Because we, we, I think most of us would have been fine just continuing to keep uh, comic book movies out of the Oscar race. But now, you know, since Black Panther got a Best Picture nomination, now that opens the door for Joker. So, yeah. That's fair. I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but yeah. No, I think I think that's a good point. Um, you know, somebody who did not see the movie was Martin Scorsese. Um, but he has his own movie that he's nominated for with The Irishman kind of feels like maybe he wants it to be a capstone or people have just described that because it's sort of bringing bringing the game back together but what were your feelings about the irishman from a directing perspective yeah 
I mean, I I love this movie. I, I, I do think it's a masterpiece, and it's strange. Like, it's probably going to be third on my list, but I, I think in 10 years, I have a feeling that we're going to look at all these nominees and be like, The Irishman is the best movie of these by far. I think it's just going to age incredibly well. And, you know, it's, yeah, like you said, it's kind of his swan song with, with these group of actors, at least, and for this kind of movie for him, uh, you know, the gangster epic. And, but it's, it's different, you know, from like Goodfellas or Casino. It's incredibly meditative and somber and reflective and, you know, not celebratory and rock and roll, Rolling Stones, whatever. And, and I felt it was somewhat autobiographical, you know, he, he recycled a lot of things from his old movies, uh, you know, of course, in the beginning, the tracking shot through the retirement home, which was made famous in Goodfellas and, uh, you know, some of the actors he's brought back from over time. Harvey Keitel was one of the worst, one of the first, excuse me, uh, first actors he worked with in Mean Streets and, uh, and then even... I don't know if you noticed this, but Pacino's wife in The Irishman is the babysitter from Goodfellas. I did not notice that. Yeah, yep. The one that uh, needs the hat from her house or whatever. So, and uh, and then I believe the song that plays at Frank's kind of celebration, Teamster celebration near the end, where Pacino is like basically digging his own grave. Uh, the song that's playing, I think, is the song that is at Henry and Karen Hill's house in Goodfellas. So it's just like little details like that, kind of like looking back through his own filmography. Uh, that's, I don't know, maybe I'm looking too deep into it. But, um, but you know, this movie is basically showing like what happens when the Goodfellas guys get out of jail. And uh just showing that we're all heading to the same place you know it's very much about death and uh looking back on your life and you know regret or just looking at the things you've accomplished and the the special thing about this movie is it it only martin only could have made this movie at the age he's at you know 10 years ago i don't think he would have been able to give this movie the same kind of gravity that it has now and it's, uh, you know, no, noteworthy, too, that this was a very, like, arduous, long search for a studio. And they all turned him down. This long script is going to be a three-and-a-half-hour movie. You know, De Niro and Pacino, even though they're legends, they aren't marketable for this, for how much money you're asking. And uh, I, I think Netflix was the perfect place for this movie to land. I mean, I don't think it would have done that well, actually, with a traditional studio distribution so you know it all worked out for the best but yeah it scorsese's still chugging he's making a movie with dicaprio and de niro this year but it certainly closed the door i think on a certain kind of movie that he's so famous for yeah it definitely it's kind of has to be evaluated in the context of his career and i feel like if he had not won for the departed i feel like he'd probably win here because he did win for The Departed, I don't know. Do you see a world where he, he actually wins the director? I really don't, which is so strange to say. Because, I mean, it's, again, a masterful work of art. But, you know, The Irishman has been celebrated and, by all means, did really well on Netflix and has major 
you know, extraordinary performances and all the rest. But for whatever reason, yeah, this feels like he's kind of already had his coronation, I guess. And which is strange because he's, you know, maybe the goat, maybe the best ever. So, you know, one seemingly shouldn't be enough for him. But um, I don't think he's... I, I don't think he's going to get the love on uh, on Oscar night for director. I don't. Yeah, I kind of going into the season with Marriage Story and with Irishman, I was like, this is going to be the, the it. Like, this will be the year that Netflix breaks the breaks through. And, I mean, they did get a lot of nominations, but I don't know if I think that people are ready to vote for him yet. I guess we'll see. Yep. Um, Quentin, uh, another capstone. Um, definitely a directorial effort that you can see. The directing, you can see Quentin Tarantino's thumbprints all over it. Um, do you like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? It's my favorite movie of the year, so yes, very much so. You know, it it uh, it makes me miss L.A. It does. I think it's a kind of beautiful love letter to the city and a certain era of Hollywood. You know, I think he really loves kind of the Western 50s TV era as well as the Steve McQueen movie star era. So, uh, you know, that was obviously very cool to see him recreate that kind of era. And, you know, the stories of him recreating all the storefronts on Hollywood Boulevard is, uh, is, is pretty magical. I, I think it's definitely the most sentimental of his movies, probably since Jackie Brown, you know, again, the, the romance about the LA landscapes, uh, you know, that, that montage is Brad and Leo are getting back from Italy and it goes into Rolling Stones at a time and all the signs are coming on as it turns to night. That, that's just like my most favorite sequence of the year. I mean, I really, I really fell for that. I thought it was just gorgeous and it's it it paints little moments about what it's like to live in LA just driving across town blasting music and you know and then in terms of Hollywood life you know life on set being with the stuntmen and the child actors and the crazy uh TV directors and I think it was a very cool contrast of you know, Sharon, uh, Sharon Tate's star kind of rising and she's soaking in her fame and going to see herself in a movie. And it's a very exciting time while conversely, you know, Rick Dalton is kind of hitting a fork in the road, whether he's going to quit altogether or he's just coming to grips with the fact that he's not a star anymore and he's the heavy in these TV shows. But you know, overall, just a very sweet remembrance of like a time bygone and wish fulfillment that that era was still around, um, if only for a reshuffling of his historic events uh, in August 1969. Uh, I, I think it's a really special movie. And, you know, it being, so he says, his penultimate film it it feel it feels like a different kind of movie, a more mature kind of movie, and again, it's my favorite of the year, so I loved it. Yeah, this could happen. I think. I think any of the top three, I could see winning director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this you know he hasn't won one yet, so this this could be this could be kind of uh, the coronation for him, and it's more accessible 
less, you know, kind of cartoonishly violent than uh, his last three or four movies. So I, I think he's got a really good chance. Bong Joon-ho for Parasite's an interesting one. Um, this movie, I, I, so I love this movie. I think a lot of the people who like are on film Twitter and maybe like recording podcasts about movies really love this movie. But it seemed to stick in a way that a lot of the, the movies that fall into that category don't always expand outside of real kind of hardcore cinephiles. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is about this that even though it's in Korean, even though it deals with themes that are, I mean, they're universal themes, but there's also stuff that's pretty specific to Korea. Like, why do you think that this broke through in the way that it did? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I mean, the movie you compare it to last year, I guess, would be Roma. But I, I think this one has been more successful or or has lingered longer in, you know, the minds of uh, moviegoers, you know, more intense and less intense um, because it's it's just a fun ride. I mean, I think it's just way more rewatchable than than Roma. I, I have no desire to see Roma again, despite its beauty and black and white shots and cool tracking shots as well. But, you know, Bong is kind of an acclaimed painter of heightened genre with real world allegorical themes. And this is definitely his most grounded, least fantastical story so far. You know, his, his others are obviously uh, The Host and Snowpiercer and uh, Okja was the most recent one, and I love all those movies too. But this uh, this feels like a step up for him. You know, it's just brilliant and subtle, and not uh, heavy handed at all about its message of you know the haves and the have nots, and the difference in class, and what happens when you keep you keep beating the lower class down, and they kind of have an insurrection. And, and rise up and it's also tragic you know the the ending which i thought was very uh 25th hour like the, the these people are just stuck in their ways and they'll never be able to break through and be kind of ultra successful but you know bong he uses great horror story elements even for like the lighter stuff i'm thinking i i just re-watched this movie on sunday so it's fresh in my mind and I, I love this movie, too, by the way. I think it's just absolutely brilliant. But, you know, the scene where uh, the maid, the the older maid, um, is coughing hysterically because the kids have, like, shaved little peaches on her and she's allergic. And then the driver dad is telling the rich mom, like, oh, I think she has tuberculosis or whatever. And they walk in the house. And it's like this very suspenseful thing. You see the mom coming up the stairs and it's like this kind of screechy music. He combines like kind of darkly comedic elements uh, along with just absolutely stunning production design and cinematography to make this really fascinating parable of modern life. Uh, in Korea, and but it it translates to Western culture as well. So um, I I think he's got an amazing shot at at the Oscar. I think the love has not dissipated at all for this movie, particularly with the film Twitter world or whatever the film you know the the diehards. So I I think he's got a great shot. 
Yeah, I think he does too. I think part of it, in the, almost in the same way, you mentioned Roma, that you know Alfonso Cuaron made gravity, and then I think that allowed him to get recognized for Roma. And even though Snowpiercer wasn't like the most widely seen film, I think making a movie with Tilda Swinton and Chris Pine probably allowed him to then get a little bit more recognized for a movie that has big Korean stars, but nobody that you know most people in the U.S. know. Um, I, I definitely think he has a shot to win this category. He's a great interview too. I don't know if you've listened to any interviews. Yeah, he's he's funny and and certainly like if this was the Golden Globes, even though I know he was nominated there, but um, you know, he definitely hasn't pulled any punches when he's talked about the Academy. But I don't know if that matters as much as it does with the Globes. Yeah, big fan of his interpreter too. Shout out, shout out to Sharon. I think her name is. She she's great. So the last one and what what I think you know you know you talk about a, a class that has these just all-timer filmmakers from Scorsese to Tarantino. You have Phillips with this real breakthrough and, and Bong Joon-ho with a breakthrough. But to me, Sam Mendes is a heavy favorite ultimately in this category just because the Academy, I think, likes to see the directing and you can see the directing. And I'm, I'm actually not saying that in a cynical way. When I talk about 1917, I was blown away actually by 1917. I thought that he accomplished exactly what he wanted to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I think that like when it comes down to pure directing, I think a lot of people will or at least a lot of the the harder core cinema people may not be thrilled if 1917 wins Best Picture. But I think that from a directing perspective, there's a lot of stuff to manage here, and he does it really seamlessly. What what did you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard not to be impressed by kind of just the physical feat of what what he does here. And, uh, you know, I think him and Roger Deakins, they are just a—I mean— to be fair, I think any director that works with Roger Deakins, an absolute god, and we're, we're talking about the cinematographer of the movie, is is going to look great. But they do such an amazing job of, you know, just mapping the world, you know, th- these two soldiers' journey, and you never feel lost, and it it, it all makes sense. And I, I mean, I I'm not sure how many actual shots there were in there. I don't know how many cuts they made. Do you know? I don't know. I mean, the what you can see is the one big cut about halfway through the movie where the character gets knocked out and then he wakes back up. That's sort of a clear, obvious cut. Right. I, I think that from what I've been reading, it seems like they did do some micro kind of splicing, like that it wasn't just they turned the camera on two times. Um, but it definitely feels like that's what it was. And, I, and they still, it seems like, had to do really long shots that were uninterrupted, um, mm-hmm. I would think, to get that effect. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, it... Mendez's kind of uh, trajectory is really interesting to me. Uh, you know, he kind of starts off the uh, acclaimed theater director and then a purveyor of kind of dysfunctional families, wins an Oscar for American Beauty in 1999. A lot of people don't remember that. So this is his second nomination. But now, you know, ever since, uh, I guess, Jarhead, but certainly the Bond films, he's become just this incredibly muscular filmmaker with huge set pieces, huge complicated set pieces. And, uh, you know, this is kind of a continuation, obviously, of, I wouldn't say his obsession necessarily, but fascination with tracking shots. Um the, there's a very memorable one before before 1917 in the opening of Spectre, the last Bond movie he made in Mexico City. That's that's pretty stunning, and I think there might be a couple in Skyfall as well. But um, 
you know, it, it, it may seem gimmicky to some people. I, I don't think it will for kind of the layman of, uh, of movie viewers. But again, just an incredibly elaborate document of geography and choreography and blocking and, and lighting. I mean, the lighting, especially in the dark uh, sequences, whether it's at night or they're in that first kind of bunker to keep the audience wrapped for two hours, which with what I think is a very parsed script, <laughs> to be honest, that I wasn't completely enthralled with the story and the dialogue overall. I mean, it's simple and that, that's fine. But, um, but just with two actors, basically it's, it's quite a feat. And I, I think the action pieces are absolutely astonishing, particularly the shot, you know, you, that you see in the trailer of him kind of jumping up, and going just sideways across like the front line to get to Benedict Cumberbatch's character. Um, This is like just a real accomplishment. And I I don't know if he's the favorite. I'm getting this strange sensation that I can't shake that it's going to be Bong Joon-ho, but I I think he certainly has uh, an awesome shot. Yeah. And you mentioned the kind of layman's experience. And I, I don't think that that should be lost. Like, the fact that so many people are going to see something like this that doesn't have a character that's been in a movie like 50 times already is, I think, a good thing on balance. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the um, odds, so right now it is Sam Mendes, one, minus 138, Bong Joon-ho, plus 200, Quentin, plus 500, Scorsese, plus 650, Todd Phillips, a tough one, plus 3,300. Um, but <sighs> let's see, maybe you can cross uh, yeah. that one off, maybe. Wrapping up here, you know, those are the five that were nominated. Obviously, always some people left out. Anything you see uh, in common with the five that were nominated that maybe uh, was not represented uh, at all in the directing category? I mean, obviously, they're all men, which, uh, you know, maybe we can just hit that really fast. Um, You know, there's kind of a lot of uproar, obviously. And, you know, I'd say semi-rightfully so in that there were no women directors nominated. But Greta Gerwig, Little Women, which I think is really the only nominee that had a real shot because her movie got six nominations. So it's like very much in the Oscar talk. Uh, again, I haven't seen Little Women, so I can't speak to that. But the other ones were Lulu Wan, The Farewell, Shut Out, Lorene Scafaria, Hustlers, Shut Out, Melina Matsukis, Queen and Slim, Marielle Heller, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Of those other four, you know, The Farewell, I guess, kind of had legs, but... In terms of like technical achievement, I I I don't want to sound like misogynist or whatever because I I actually like Greta Gerwig and I loved Hustlers, and I like I haven't seen A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, but I love Mariel Heller as a director. But I think just unfortunately this year their movies just didn't kind of hit that relevant nature that these other that the um the guys that got nominated did and you know Greta Gerwig is like an academy darling you know and by all means kind of like the technical achievement of Little Women was way more impressive than Lady Bird and she got nominated for Lady Bird so I you know her her day will come and and she also got nominated for best screenplay so uh you know I just kind of want to address that but Overall, it, it is an issue. I mean, there's only been five nominations ever for a woman, and Catherine Bigelow is the only winner. So yeah, it is not, an issue. I, I think it's more an issue about opportunity and not about, like, the Academy snubbing 
the movies that did get made by women. Yeah, it's definitely not great. And I, I agree that it's it's structural. I mean, I think uh, Marianne Heller of all of them, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, I think is a little bit underrepresented in terms of just, I, th- I think it was actually a really good good movie. But what the, what the problem is when you see this category, you have Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino, Bon Joon-ho is, you know, he's, he's just kind of being established in America, but he's obviously yeah. kind of an all-time director internationally. And then you have this remarkable athletic achievement by Sam Mendes and Todd Phillips really elevating. And when you I look mean, at that it's, list... It's absolute murderer's row. The, the problem really comes from the fact that, like, you know, to be a legendary filmmaker, you have to have been making films for 20, 30 years, the way that Scorsese Tarantino have. And those opportunities just haven't, haven't been there for women. So it's hard to yeah. catch up. And, and so the cycle... I, I think th- there needs to be structural change to address the cycle. I don't know that the answer though is elevating films that that shouldn't be in there. And like I, Little Women just didn't didn't work for me. Uh, I think that Hustlers worked better, and um, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood worked better. Um, I haven't seen Queen and Slim yet, but I think that sounds like one that's just been probably unfairly ignored across the board. Um, right. But it's a problem. I mean, it's it's definitely it's definitely a problem. I, I think Lorraine Scafaria did like an absolutely incredible job in Hustlers. I mean, I think there's some like really innovative camera stuff. Um, I mean, she did a phenomenal job of like, you know, physically moving and like where to put the camera. And that's not the greatest movie ever, but like, you know, in terms of technical achievement, I mean, that, that, that deserves some props for sure. Yeah, well, there's definitely a lot of good movies in there, um, and it's going to be a pretty one of the more competitive races. Anything else? No, yeah, this has been awesome. Yeah, I do kind of want to just uh, shot, uh, shoot off a couple stats for you, uh, if I might. Love stats. Yeah, so Scorsese, this is his ninth nomination. He is the most nominated living director and second most director nominations ever, only to William Wyler, who directed Ben-Hur and is uh, dead, obviously. And won one Oscar already, obviously, for The Departed. This is Tarantino's third nomination, first nomination for Bong and Todd Phillips, and second nomination for Sam Mendes. And then in terms of kind of comparing, you, you kind of did this earlier, but in terms of comparing to um, correlation between Best Picture, and then I also listed DGA awards as well. So five out of the last 10 and 12 out of the last 20 director wins also won Best Picture. So that's kind of more recent than the number you gave. So I guess that's like 50-50. So, but this this is the real uh, clincher though. Nine out of the last 10 winners Best Director winners also won the DGA. So, and those nominations have been announced. The winner has not been announced, but the nominees are Bong, Sam Mendes, Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino, and in Todd Phillips' spot, Taika Watiti for Jojo Rabbit. So that'll be very interesting to see the uh, the winner there because yeah, it's usually very predictive. That is interesting. Yeah, we didn't talk Taika Watiti. We didn't talk Noah Baumbach, but. Plenty of opportunities, unfortunately, in, in my opinion, to talk about Jojo Rabbit and then. Um, oh, you didn't like more. it? I, I, I didn't I didn't understand why we were supposed to feel shocked by making fun of Adolf Hitler 100 years after after World War Two. But OK, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I love those kids. I, I thought those were just extraordinary performances. I, I would watch that Roman Griffin Davis kid in anything. 
performance. I thought perform- Scarlett Johansson was actually really great too, and I'm glad to see her nominated. But yeah, no, it was. Uh, I mean, the people have spoken, the Academy has spoken, everybody is honoring this movie. So, well, Alex, I really appreciate the time. Um, hope to do it again sometime, and uh, enjoy the the rest of the Oscar season. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Just just quickly, you know, like best director is kind of my favorite category and it has provided me some of my favorite or least favorite director moments and i just wanted to end by listing those off uh david fincher losing to tom hooper uh social network losing to uh, uh the king's speech was uh yeah, dreadful that was crazy dreadful uh darren aronofsky just getting nominated for black swan was huge uh i, I love that movie um, the rest of these are just nominations, and I got excited simply, and none of these people really had a chance to win, but just the fact that they were nominated made me excited and kind of shows my uh, Oscar, uh, uh, you know, obsession, so to speak. But anyway, I'll list them off quickly. Woody Allen for Midnight in Paris, Corsese for Wolf of Wall Street, Linklater, Linklater losing to, for Boyhood. That was le- not good. Not a good moment. Uh, he lost to uh, Andy Ritu for Birdman. Uh, George Miller getting nominated for Mad Max Fury Road. Denis Villeneuve getting nominated for Arrival. Paul Thomas Anderson getting nominated for Phantom Thread. And Yorgos Lanthimos getting nominated for The Favorite. So that's it. And uh, I really appreciate you uh, having me on, man. This was fun. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Talk to you soon.